On today's episode, I had the privilege of being able to interview Shannon Halliday, who's the director of the Essential Church movie, the documentary that was just released recently from Grace Community Church. I also got to interview Pastor James Coates and Pastor Tim Stevens, who were featured prominently in the documentary. Make sure you head to EssentialChurchMovie.com. You can pre-order Blu-rays and DVDs. You're going to want to watch this movie and share it with others as well. I really, really hope that this episode is a blessing and an encouragement for all of you. Today's episode of Liberty Dispatch is brought to you by our friends over at Rocklink Investment Partners. Make sure you hit them at www.rocklink.com or email them info at rocklink.com. Well, it is my pleasure to have with me on the Dispatch, Shannon Halliday. Before working at Grace Productions as the writer and director of the feature film documentary, The Essential Church, which is what we're talking about today, Shannon worked as a head writer and creative director for a studio focused primarily on commercial projects for small and large businesses. Shannon has always focused his work on the art and craft of storytelling through film and applied this as a screenwriter and director of various projects. This desire for the art of story started early in his childhood and then in college, where he earned a bachelor's in film at Art Center College of Design in Pasadena, California. Shannon, thanks so much for joining me on The Dispatch. It is great to have you with us today. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. So we are talking about the Essential Church documentary today that was released for private screenings recently in churches and is now available to be seen in theaters, at least in the United States. And so we want to talk about that. Uh, the documentary is close to our heart here at Liberty Coalition Canada and for us here on The Dispatch, for our audience members who many of them found themselves nomads during the COVID era because their, era, because their churches were shut down. There was this great migration in Canada of people flocking to churches that stayed open, that honored the Lordship of Christ. These churches saw growth and blessing, not without hardships and difficulties, as was raised in the documentary. And so this is uh, this is close to home for us. And so we're glad to have you on. We are thankful. I watched it with my wife not too long ago, and it was it was good, well made, uh, emotional at times, and it hit in all the right places. So we're grateful for this work. Um, tell us what led you to make the documentary. And when did you realize this has to be made? We need to do this. We need to capture this. And we need to tell this story. Yeah. Um, you know, we were thinking about what our first project should be. Um, Jacob Hoffman, the department head, and I were discussing it. And, you know, he brought forth the idea of, you know, we probably should do a documentary on what, what has transpired, which obviously makes a ton of sense. It was a no-brainer. But the reason that we were interested in it is because um, a lot of people left our church when we opened back up. And not only did a lot of people open up our church, but a lot of people abroad really came at us and disagreed with us, told us we were being hypocrites of what we taught in Romans 13 before COVID-19. Um, so there was all sorts of criticisms and we wanted to, you know, we always said, you know, what, what if we could just pull back the curtain and show them the whole process and show them how it all happened? And maybe if they could just see the whole story, 
they could have a more holistic kind of approach to it and how they interpret what we did. Um, and so it was mainly made for that reason, to, to show those people that, that disagreed with us the whole story. Um, and so uh, I put together a pitch of how I would want to do that. Uh, I was very much inspired by our statement, Christ Not Caesar, where it references church history, that we aren't the first Christians to make these arguments of why the state doesn't have jurisdiction in the church ever. Um, and uh, I was fascinated by that. And the more I researched that, the more I learned about these rich stories that I just didn't under, I didn't know before this happened. I didn't know about much of it, the Covenanters, any of it. Um, and it was just fascinating to me, and I loved it. And as a filmmaker, I, was, I just got excited because I was like, oh, man, this could be really fun to craft these stories and how cinematic we could make this. And just it's just going to be great to write this. So I pitched all that. I wanted, to, I wanted it to be about the church uh, and not John MacArthur, which he was all for. He didn't want it to be about him. Uh, and he wanted it to be about the church. And so we accomplished that by having church history. We have our local church and what we deal with. I mean, that's part of the story, obviously. But then we kind of have a rep representation of what globally happened, and that's through our Canadian brothers and sisters. Um, so... Uh, that was kind of a part of the pitch, and, uh, and I, I did pitch it that I was going to interweave these throughout the story and line them up. I didn't know exactly every nook and cranny of how I was going to line it up on certain parts, but uh, I knew there was a way. Uh, so, yeah, I pitched that. They greenlit it, and then uh, we started working, and it took us two years, which is a really short amount of time, actually. So a, a couple thoughts. First, you, you mission accomplished. Uh, in terms of the the pull, like, kind of inviting people into the back room and letting them see the process, that was clear. I yeah. think one of the things I appreciated was the humility of the men saying either we were we were wrong, we got this wrong, we we needed to d develop a deeper understanding, or you know we 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 wavered in this or that. I thought that that was good. I think there's been a lot of talking past one another. Mm -hmm. with with decisions made by churches so that was accomplished and appreciated to see that humility mm -hmm. um kind of artistically that the part that stands out to me is when ian hamilton is talking about how they escalated the fines and the punishments mm. and the limitations and you wove that in with scenes of tim and james and also news clippings from canada i, I distinctly remember really really well done telling that story and weaving these different threads together so yeah. you you were successful in what you wanted to do, which is which is good. Um, and I, I know when I was watching the documentary, I also remembered early on in the lockdowns when you know Grace Community was kind of more compliant. I remember saying, "Oh, it'd be really great if if you know Johnny Mac and the guys could come on board." And there was a little bit of a disappointment. I'm, and James also in the documentary was saying they were looking to churches like Grace Community for, for leadership. And I remember reading Phil Johnson's blog on the Pyromaniac where he came out and they were looking at Romans 13 and basically said, listen, we may not have played this the right way. We understand now more fully. And I remember being deeply grateful. Um, and not only the humility, but also the willingness to say, yeah, we we, we understand now what, what we're doing. So... 
Anyways, I think you captured that really well. You mentioned the the deep dive into historical things that you didn't know much about, whether it's the Covenanters, there was the talk of John Bunyan as well, kind of very famous nonconformist in England. Yeah. Having having done the documentary, having gone to these places, you know, even having someone like Nathan Businitz, who's an elder who teaches historical theology, so this is his bread and butter, why do you think now, having done the documentary, that it's important and crucial for Christians to understand church history and the faithfulness of Christians in the past, not just in the first century in the early church, but all throughout the church age, why it's very important, it's integral for us to understand how have believers responded historically to to issues in the culture? Yeah, um, the 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 church history aspect is important because you know we learn from the past we learn from our brothers and sisters in the church who've had to deal with this concept so if we look at their breadcrumbs that they laid for us we can see biblically how they made their biblical arguments and that helps us today when we look at that and say i mean obviously we have to be bereans and and measure everything to the word of god and see if that's true. Um, but when we see faithful men, and we see that in Hebrews, that there is this you know, hall of faithful heroes that we are to look to. The, the Bible tells us to do that. So when we look back to these men and see what they did, and in our case, also a woman, uh, <laughs> Jenny Geddes, uh, we, we can learn about what we should do today. And the other thing it teaches us is that it proves that this is an ancient conflict. We see this throughout Scripture, and then we see it throughout church history. And when we actually look at it, I mean, I'll, I'll probably never look at Exodus the same way. It, I didn't look at it the way I look at it now until after the lockdowns. Now I look at Exodus and I see what I saw before, but I also see an angle that I was not seeing before. Is that the Lord was saying to the government of that day, you do not control my people. Mm -hmm. And specifically the terms of worship. Pharaoh yeah. was trying to dictate the terms of worship. You can worship but no children. You can worship but no animals. You can worship but you can't. And then God through Moses is saying, you have zero authority over right. how my people worship me. You're right. We can't see these things the same again. Yeah. And, and then you go to Daniel. Daniel, it's even more apparent uh, and he opens up his windows, and you know he was mandated temporarily that he is not to pray. And so not only did he pray, but he let everybody know, I'm not changing anything I'm doing. Let it be known who I serve, and it's not this government. So yeah, and Daniel see, could have just closed the window and prayed quietly too. Yeah, right? he could have. Right, but he, but he, but everyone needed to know. Yeah, that the worship of the Lord is. Yeah. Christ is to be preeminent in all things, and we are not to self-censor and silence ourselves. That's right. Yeah. And then you see Paul. He appeals to his Roman citizenship and makes them go to court. Uh, you know, so he actually uses the court system. You, you have think, examples like that throughout the Scripture where it's obvious these men are, are examples of what we are to be, and it's showing us the way. And then you see that in church history. And you see it coming over and over and over again. So we have to look to the past to learn for what we are to do today. 
And it also gives us, a, a, I think most importantly, I would say that the movie is, is not a, a classroom. It's not a lecture. And I think a lot of people expect that coming from our church. I was, you know, it was going to be a very lectury type of sermon kind of movie. But I made sure that it was not that. It was a movie. So when you go to these, this movie, you see stories. And you're getting this, this emotion about it. Not only you're getting the content, but you're getting the story, which kind of puts steel in your veins, um, which is the hope. So we look to the past church history to also embolden us, to inspire us, to remind us, are we taking the baton from these folks that did this before? Because what they did was not unbiblical. It was biblical, and we should be doing this. And more church should understand that, especially in America and Canada, because I think uh, we have not exercised this muscle very much. And um, we need to exercise that muscle more. We need to uh, understand, as Christians, we are to take our worldview, our faith, into all spheres um, and, uh, and be faithful. Be faithful to Christ. That's the goal. It doesn't matter what the results are, but we are called to be faithful. And so, um, and the, the past shows us a way to do that. I, the, the way you've put it, the exercising of the muscle is, is a phrase, is an illustration that we've used to express what the last number of years have been for us. It's a, it's a, it's a blessing, it's an inheritance that we have in our countries that rests upon the shoulders of faithful men and women who've built a culture based on biblical principles, our laws, um, the understanding of rights being given by God, all these are, are, are biblical foundations. And so we've built a culture upon this, and we've, we're, we've been blessed by it for hundreds of years. We've reaped the blessings and the inheritance of that, but it's also allowed us to grow a little lazy and apathetic, and these muscles of atrophy, we haven't had to exercise that muscle of saying to the state, sorry, this is not yours. Right, this belongs to Christ, not Caesar, and so we that we we've gone through that, and yeah. and we we've, we've seen the effect that that's had, and I think as you've rightly said, it can't stop in the in the sense that it's probably not going to get any easier to be a faithful biblical Christian in North America, and so if we if we pulled the muscle and got out of the game when they said we're going to fine you a thousand dollars for shutting down your church. It's like the Lord says to Daniel, if you go, if, if if you're tired running with men, how are you going to be able to run with horses? If you if you grow weary in a safe land, then what about when it gets more dangerous? I think the the impetus for Christians to get ready and for churches to get ready, I think is 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 vital. Um, yeah. So what was um, you know, just just thinking maybe a particular story, either that you heard as you were interviewing pastors and kind of unearthing some of this historical narrative, what was one particular story or instance, something you found out, something you came across that was both new and particularly impactful? You didn't know about, you found it insightful, and it's something that's kind of maybe now stuck with you. Mm. This will be a story, an illustration you will be telling for the rest of your life. Well, uh, something that has stuck with me, well, there's a couple things. Uh, one thing locally in my church, what has stuck with me, I would say that I didn't know it before, but it became deeper in my understanding, is that um, 
and I, I think it, I knew it, but it became even more clear and that the world should also know, or at least in our circles they should know, that um, our church is not run by our pastor. Our church is run by 40 elders and they all have to agree. We're an elder-ruled church. And even though John MacArthur wanted to open up after two weeks, it's not like he can just run roughshod over 40 other men or how many other disagreed that we should stay close because they were divided. And I, I think that I understand better the, our, our elder-ruled church and how they deal with division amongst themselves and how they dealt with it biblically and had to work through that, like you said earlier. There were men who had to there were men who went through an evolution of where they understood Romans 13 to where they were at one point, and then they had to argue in a godly way, in the common bond of Christ, their brothers and sisters to their side. Um, and so seeing that biblically in my church, you know, the rest of the world, that's why we made the movie, the rest of the world just saw us as shutting down. But what was really happening is we were dealing with division in our own church. Meanwhile, the congregants were actually coming to church and nobody knew it. So we were actually having secret church in our own church. <laughs> so it was very interesting. Yeah, and police officers. So, um, so that's, an interesting, that's an interesting thing that I knew, but I know deeper um, about my local church. And I think people would find interesting in the documentary. I think in our circles, other Christians are going to find that really fascinating because I don't think Grace Church is had something like that, not that they're not transparent, but to make a film to be transparent about it, that's new ground for us. And the elders uh, clearly did a good job of presenting a kind of unity where even though there was disagreement, I mean, it, it, the, the role of the elders or the function of the elders is not to be secretive, but in the right. same way that parents sort of have discussions and disagreements not in front of the kids because it's not helpful, they present a united front and they deal with disagreements in yeah. private. Yeah, I, I think that because there was no sense, like I didn't catch wind in any media, any news, even connections with other pastors, Christian organizations, I never caught wind of, oh, there's internal strife and disagreement. The sense was these are decisions that they're making together. There's the appearance of consensus, yeah. which is vitally important. And it, it is a good thing that you highlighted that in the documentary for people to see yeah. churches doing that. Yeah. And then I think personally, it's not necessarily in the documentary, but something that I take away from this is that um, when I look at America, I would have always said, and rightfully so, that America, the United States of America, was designed by men who were influenced by a Christian worldview. And so we say it has Judeo-Christian Judeo roots, right? We say stuff like that. The West does, you know? And then when I learned about the Covenanters, what I discovered was it's a little bit more than that. It was really a hundred years, especially the Covenanters, if not all of church history, and the Protestant Reformation, obviously. But the, they were fleshing out these concepts in, in their lives, in their, in their nation, as Christians, dealing with this biblically and dying over it being murdered for it. Uh, but it was conviction that was biblical and worth standing for. And by fleshing out these concepts, they actually understand biblically that the Bible is saying that there is a separation between church and state. Um, and uh, we have that, that, that is in our country today, and that, that's a biblical 
aspect that there are spheres of authority, uh, that there's the church, the government, and family, and the Lord has designed those, and uh, one doesn't necessarily have control over the other. Gover the government, the state, has no control over the church. That's a biblical uh, point of view. No, somebody just didn't come up with that. It was Christians fleshing out that idea. So really, if Christians, if the church does what it's supposed to do and they're faithful in the things that they're supposed to be faithful in, which sometimes requires sacrifice, like the covenanters, society actually benefits from that. There is fruit from that. There is a thriving of humanity for people who aren't even Christians. Benefit from these truths because it's true. That's why they benefit from it or they wouldn't benefit from it. The fact that they benefit from it is because it's true. You know, you watch uh, Jordan Peterson and he's seen the data of this, right? That wherever Christianity goes, he sees the data, people thrive. Um, he's not a Christian, as far as I know, but uh, he can't deny the objective reality of that truth, that where true biblical Christianity takes hold, and the church, that means the church is doing what it's supposed to do, the society around it thrives. America is the fruit of the Protestant Reformation. It's the fruit of Protestants holding the line and saying, the headship of Christ, it will not be compromised. America is the fruit of that. We have America because of that. Not just because of a worldview that they, they, they came up with because of that worldview, but because that worldview was fleshed out throughout the hundreds of years before it uh, of being faithful. That's why. So I look at that and I'm like, America is the result of the church. <laughs> and right. I don't think anybody knows that. They have and, no idea. And all of the West, right? Like yeah. you, you, The point about fruitfulness and being a blessing to everyone there's a reason why people are not flocking to immigrate to China or Saudi Arabia or countries in um, Northern Africa. Like, no one is flocking to Muslim-majority countries. No one is flocking to communist countries. That's no right. one is flocking to atheistic countries. Why? Because their worldview is destructive. To right. I mean, it, 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 was it Proverbs... Um, I think it's Proverbs 8, at the end of Proverbs 8, when wisdom is speaking, wisdom says, all who hate me love death, but all who listen to my voice pursue life. Right. This, is, this is the unavoidable reality that when Christians build what they're supposed to build, right, institutions, schools, churches, engage, hold the state accountable, when you build countries and cultures around that, everyone flourishes it's 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 because god's made the world to work a certain way and then when you reject that and we just look yeah. at look at look at even even if we look at the statistics of of covid in the midst of you know the, the documentary it it appears to be places that were the worst in terms of abandoning god's law abandoning principles for governance and how to deal with sicknesses and the authority of the church that seem to see the worst destruction, not just with the virus, but economically, crime, and job loss. And then you see places that, no, we're going to try to govern and operate the way God wants us to. You don't see the same kind of destruction, and that's true around the world. Yeah. And that's a helpful uh, a helpful thing to realization for, for us to know that when we when we operate according to God's law, God's design, it's always for the good of humanity. It's never for the destruction of humanity, um, which is why churches have to say, we're sorry 
to defy you, but we have to because we're doing what's good for the people, what's good for yeah. our church, what's good for the community. Yeah, you can't make the argument that uh, the the you know the world is better off when the church is closed. You just can't. There's no there's no way to make that argument. Um, and it even goes to the title of the movie, The Essential Church. You know, we we're playing we're playing a a, a word game there, right? Because they said we weren't essential. And these other businesses like Costco, you could all gather at Costco all day, and, uh, but you couldn't gather at a church. You could do that every day at Costco, but you couldn't do that once a week at church. Uh, so uh, we're playing a word game there. They said we, weren't, well, we are essential, but even more so, how essential is the church? Just pointing out what we just talked about. The church is essential to hold back that darkness. And it's not us, obviously. It's who we gather around. It's Christ and his word. Uh, you know, we don't have any power. It's Christ, and we're his children, and that really is heaven on earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pastor MacArthur. That's MacArthur's the promise. Been, yeah, that's right. Pastor the MacArthur promise is that the gates of hell won't be able, that the, the church right. will shine in the darkness, that the church functions as a preservative that's to right. push back evil and decay, to preserve the good. That's the salt. Yeah, and right. And the gates of hell aren't going to be able to stand against this glorious light advancing good work fruitfulness of the church they'll be unsuccessful um because it is because christ Christ is giving the keys of the kingdom to his people yeah yeah absolutely so yeah it's uh the church is essential and that i mean that at the end of the day i think i want the churches that shut down to to realize that to look at the documentary and to say you know Nobody's going to be baptized in our church as a result of us closing down. That's ridiculous. There are testimonials of baptisms where they, uh, James Coates was sharing the other day, he was like, you know, there are, there are testimonials of people saying, the church was open, and I came during the, during the lockdowns, and I heard the gospel, and now I got, became a Christian because the Lord saved me. Like, that, that happened because the church stayed open. Nobody's being baptized and saying, well, I'm being baptized today because I was just so overwhelmed by the fact that the church shut down. And it was so great that the church shut down. It was such a, an example of humility that now I believe in Jesus Christ. Well, that's nobody's saying that because that's not happening because that's not how it works. <laughs> yeah, there was a so, story at Jacob Rayom's church in Waterloo that actually caught international attention. Daily Wire covered it. Fox News covered it. It was a baptism service, and a young woman was sharing that she was addicted to drugs, like heavy, hard drugs, and she was ready. She she wanted to kill herself. She was ready to end her life, and she came to the only church that was kind of open in the area, and then she heard the gospel. She connected with believers. The Lord saved her, and then she was getting baptized. So for all of the critics who said, what about your witness? Right. What about, you know, what about honoring Christ? None of the ch- none, none of the churches that didn't repent that that took the position well yeah we kind of have to romans 13 it they don't have that story they don't have the story to tell about lives change because of faithfulness in the midst of difficulties um and that's a story that we we got to experience firsthand by being a part of churches with elders that either were courageous from the beginning or at some point because of the lord's mercy you could see a change in their position, a humble, repentant posture, and then the blessing that comes from that honoring Christ in the midst of difficulties. Um, so we want everyone to see this documentary, obviously. Right. We, 
um, and not, as you've said, not to elevate John MacArthur, though there's much honor that's that, that's due him for his faithfulness to Christ for, you know, a half a century. And it's not as if we want to just shine a big light on grace, although it has been an influential, impactful church for many believers. But we want people to see this documentary because we want people to understand, as you've said, that our position that honors the Lordship of Christ over every sphere is a deeply historical position that Christians have wrestled for for 2,000 years and that we're not pulling something out of thin air and that there are blessings when we obey God. So we want people to see it. So for people who are in the United States, it's a little bit easier for them. They can go on the website. There's a list of theaters and they can hope to find one. Uh, For people specifically, let's say in Canada, how can they connect with what's going on, receive updates, any plans for theaters north of the 49th parallel, or are people going to have to wait till it becomes available digitally or hard copy? Help our audience understand. Or do they just have to go over the border? Because now that we're allowed back in your country, that the United (laughs) States lets lets the unclean back in as of, um, I think it was June the 12th, maybe they need to find the closest American city. But help Canadians, how can we watch this? Well, it, it is still in theaters. So um, if you want to go see it in theaters, there's, that run is still happening. Um, it's very difficult to crack the Barbenheimer code right now. Uh, and then there's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles coming out next weekend. So it's not like theaters are eager to show our film because those are such huge money makers. To give up a screen for the essential church is really hard for them. So honestly, the fact that we were able to have 300 theaters, we had a much higher goal than that, but it was really difficult to get beyond that. Um, and you know, that's just the way it happened. Like, you know, why don't you have your movie come out in October? Well, the church didn't want it coming out in October, and it's about ministry. We don't want to wait. It's not about the best theatrical time. We're just going to do the best we can with what we've got. And that's a situation we're in, and so we couldn't have as many theaters as we wanted. So there's a lot of cities that don't have it, and there are people in those cities that are upset. <laughs> and it's also upset in Canada because we couldn't get in Canada. It's very difficult and costly to get into movie theaters in Canada. Um, also, I think the government controls the theaters is what I've heard, so they have to approve it on top of that. Everything. They have, they have to ensure that every kernel of popcorn is buttered to the right amount <laughs> As well, everything up here is is within their purview. That's ridiculous. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's so eye opening. Canada has become incredibly eye opening, and we're like, down here, we thought you guys were like us, mm-hmm. and we realized no, they're they're actually well. When I say like us, we're pretty screwed up too. Our government's yeah. on the same path, but you guys are farther down the road, and it's mm-hmm. scary because you see where we're headed. And, uh, you know, we're not far behind. And anyway, which, by the way, I I quickly want to pick up on that for for anyone who and tell this to friends and people, you know, and for anyone here who's an American audience, because we're going to be, you know, sharing this and linking with you. One of the things that we've been saying up here in Canada to brothers in the state. So, you know, we a year and a half ago when Bill C4 was passed in Canada, the anti-conversion therapy legislation. Um, I reached out to Pastor John and I said, we're doing an initiative. Churches around the country are going to be praying on Biblical Sexuality Sunday, essentially breaking the law because God alone gets to define it. And Pastor John was gracious. Um, he shared the letter. He, he he put out a call in the United States, which was responded to well. But I reached, I mean, I reached out to the brothers at Founders Ministries. 
I reached out to um, the guys in Christchurch in Idaho. I reached out to G3 in Atlanta. We reached out to Apologia Church in Phoenix. Like all these same Christians who, you know, kept their churches open, who understood the Lordship of Christ. And our message for our brothers and sisters in the States has been the same. Look here. See where things are going. See what happens when the church is silent, when the church is apathetic, when we continue to vote based on pragmatism and not principles, then we're given the evil leaders that we deserve. Look at what can happen legislatively as Marxist ideas. And so our our clarion call to our brothers south of the border is be wise in stewarding what you have. Don't squander the blessing that we've all inherited because of our forefathers in the faith, lest you find yourselves in a more highly socialized nation like us where pastors get arrested yeah. for keeping their church open um we hope for better things for you guys down there um though it looks like the only difference between us and you is that our car is going off the cliff much faster than yours yeah but anyway so all, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because we do want to encourage brothers in the states and sisters be faithful be vigilant you know, obey Christ in the ways we've been talking about, because um, otherwise we squander the blessing that we've inherited. Yeah. So yeah, for... I remember that Sunday where Dr. MacArthur preached on Conversion Sunday, is what we called it, right? Yep. And uh, it was awesome. I remember that. I was so happy he did that. That was a great Sunday, and um, uh, I loved it. And so did our church. And we stand in solidarity with you guys up there, holding the line on those biblical truths and not compromising things through this woke sexuality aspect of things and how they're indoctrinating everybody. So anyway, um, one thing I haven't done is I haven't said the website, and you're supposed to do that when you're on shows like this. You're supposed to constantly repeat the website, and I notice I haven't done that. So hopefully people are still watching, but it's essentialchurchmovie.com. And really, to answer your question about how do you see this, go to essentialchurchmovie.com essentialchurchmovie.com, and on there, there's a button to buy theater tickets. If there's a theater near you, what it does is you click on that button, and it brings you to a list of theaters, and you put your zip code in, and you can see what the closest one is to you and, and uh, show times. So if it's really far away, though, which is a good chance it could be, um, we're going to be having really soon here probably pre-sales for um, Blu-rays and DVDs. On top of that, uh, we eventually will probably have a digital download in some form, and there will be streaming on platforms, I'm sure. We haven't worked out those deals. But believe it or not, it takes a little bit of time to actually get that set up. You can't just press a button and it all works. So um, we're hoping by the end of the month, all of that will be ready to go. And we're hoping that with before the end of the month, we're going to have our website set up to take pre-sales on the DVDs and Blu-rays. So what you can do is you go to EssentialChurchMovie.com, scroll to the bottom, you can put your email in there, and you'll be updated as things evolve, as these things become available, and we will send out notices to your email. Or you can just periodically come back and check the website at EssentialChurchMovie.com, and you can get all this information. Yes, EssentialChurchMovie.com. Go sign up. If you're in the States, find a theater near you. If you're in a border city... Find an American theater near you if you can head over the border, but most certainly plan on purchasing this. I mean, this is this is the sort of thing that you don't want to see just once. 
that's something I was thinking too as I was watching the documentary with my wife. I found myself saying, "This is a, this is one of those stones that they placed when they crossed over the river, when they said, when your sons and daughters ask why we put these stones here, you tell them because the Lord was faithful, right? We, we, he was faithful here. He won the victory for us." And so this, I think this documentary functions that way, where this is a piece of history that, similar to the stories we have of the Covenanters, Lord willing, in hundreds of years, they'll look back and say, well, North America at one point was established on these biblical principles. As you said, it's the fruit of the Reformation. And then it began to turn sour. And then here were faithful men in Canada and the United States that paid a cost And now, hopefully, there's going to be fruit for centuries to come. And so this is something that needs to be purchased, that needs to be watched, that needs to be shared. Because these are the stories. These are our stones. When we look back and we see the Lord vindicated us, the Lord was kind to us. And even though it was difficult, he didn't disappoint. He didn't let us down. He was faithful. And I I felt that way coming out of the end of the documentary. I felt like this this was a masterclass in the faithfulness and the mercy and the kindness of God that he would be so mindful of his people. So Shannon, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with me and for putting this together. I'm I'm certain that this documentary will be a blessing for believers now and Lord willing for years and years to come. So again, essentialchurchmovie.com. That's it. That's where people need to go. Yeah, brother, thank you so much. It's been great. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I couldn't have said that better than myself. You, you said that so well. That's exactly what it is. And uh, it, it has rewatchability is what I've learned, is that it just as a film itself, there's, there's so much in there that you want to watch it again. Uh, and just for the historical aspect. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Um, really blessed by you guys up there holding, holholding the line, staying truth, staying true to Christ and the headship of Christ in the church. Um, and we're, we're going to continue to pray for you and stay Amen. in contact Thanks, brother. with you. Well, as we continue to talk about the essential church, both the documentary and really the essential nature of the church itself for the good and well-being of a country, for the benefit of believers, and for the purposes of God in the world, I'm pleased to have with me on the dispatch Pastor Tim Stevens, friend of the show. Tim is a pastor of Fairview Baptist Church in Calgary, Alberta, He started his ministry in January of 2014. Tim grew up on a farm in eastern Ontario and graduated with a computer engineering degree from Queen's University and a Master's of Divinity degree from Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary. Tim is also currently halfway through a doctor of ministry focused on expository preaching at the Master's Seminary in California. He is happily married to Raquel and together they have eight children brother thank you so much for joining me on the dispatch it's always great to chat with you thanks so much andrew for having me so i very recently watched the essential church documentary and it was a mix of certain emotional parts and a rethinking of kind of our experience in the last number of years and and what we went through in our churches and Mm -hmm. as elders and pastors kind of wrestling through these issues together, refining our own theology. You were featured quite heavily in the documentary, being one of the few Canadian pastors and really North American pastors who had the privilege of being able to join men like John Bunyan and be arrested for simply obeying Christ in 
what up until five minutes ago was a non-controversial way, which is keeping your church open even in the midst of a pandemic or viruses. And so thinking about the documentary, thinking about the the filming, you being interviewed, obviously things come back to your memory. You have to rethink about certain events, certain instances, things that happen in your life, in the life of your church, where you either saw the goodness of God, the providential care of the Lord taking place in your life. And looking back now, thinking, I'm thankful that this happened. I'm thankful the Lord did this. Through the process of having to be interviewed for the documentary and then watching it yourself, you were there for the premiere. As you reflect back on the last number of years, Tim, what would what might be one or two of those things where you say, I'm ultimately thankful that the Lord sovereignly put this together and I can clearly see his hand at work in this, even in the midst of the difficulties that you and your family faced? Right. No, it was quite the experience of being being interviewed for the documentary and then watching it. You know, at times when I gave the interview and then watching it later, you know, is coming very emotional, overwhelmed, re- reliving that in your mind because you you mentioned having having the privilege to be like John Bunyan and go to jail. And, and in one sense, I, I understand uh, what you mean by that. And another time, another sense you know, going to prison is not, is not glorious in and of itself. And so it's uh, very emotional to be taken from your family and to be uh, put in a place like that and, and uh, treat, treated like a criminal, treated like an animal in many respects. And so those emotions came back and, and especially how the documentary took what happened in Canada and, and paralleled that with what happened to the Covenanters and others who suffered and were persecuted at a far greater degree. And, and to realize this, this is par for the course for many Christians throughout the ages and, and might be again for our future, for the future of our children. And so it's a, it's a real soberness to reflect upon that. But um, not only was it, was it emotional just thinking about, you know, this, those, those experiences of imprisonment and, and, uh, and when, when the police are coming after you and your church, but, but certainly the, the documentary does a great job of just unfolding the many blessings of the Lord through that time. And, and how the Lord uses faithfulness to to lead to fruitfulness. And, and so many blessings that uh, were in the documentary and even ones that were that just couldn't be included for sake of time uh, that have come to, to me and to my family, to the church. And, and I probably most significantly of all is, is people who have been saved. Um, the, the documentary talked about some of those individuals, people who've been sanctified, uh, who, who've been renewed in their commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so Christ, he built his church through this time. And, and that was amazing to be part of that, to see that, to witness that, for, for God to work in that way. The, uh, the two bits in the documentary that were particularly kind of heart-pricking for me were when Dr. Scott Atlas was talking about the email that he received about the, 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 I think it was the woman who said her husband had taken his own life because of what the lockdowns had done to him. You see the effect it has on him, and I'm watching that thinking, well, I, I know people like that too. We, we know people who suffered immensely and whose lives were ruined, some permanently because of this. The second bit of the documentary that was that was kind of emotionally pricking, and I remember looking over at my wife as we were watching, was when you were discussing the the nature of, of the, the extreme difficulty in preaching into, as you said, in just a little lens into the camera. And as soon as it's done, you weeping because you couldn't be with your people. 
And you can see even in the documentary, if people weren't paying attention, I can see your eyes are starting to get a little bit red and watered, even as you're saying this in the documentary. And knowing what I know of you, how you love people um, and, and the gentleness about you, that this was this was a massive issue. Uh, it's one thing that I think the documentary highlights in your experience in the midst of of this COVID stuff with them saying, you know, shut your churches down, don't meet, limit it. Once you start meeting again, once you were with people in flesh and blood, how is it that you saw indeed that it is essential that the church meets? Or what what would be some examples in your church, in your in your family, where now that we are together in person, it was not only was it wrong, but it was hurtful. We see now that it is important for us to be meeting together as people. Yeah, I, th- I think in my my Christian life and experience, um, the, the church was was essential already in in my mind. It wasn't that COVID nineteen uh, was a reminder of how important the gathering is, uh, but the gathering was already so important for me and for my family and for our church. You know, we were a smaller fellowship at the time. We we valued hospitality. We took those commands seriously. Uh, to know one another, to love one another, to pray for one another. You know, we were a kind of church where when the service ends, people don't leave for hours. Um, we, we, just, we just fellowship together. And so all, all of that was integral for what it meant to be the church and be a fellowship. And so to have that completely severed and and for that deemed by our governing authorities, you know, not essential and, and not not core to the service of the church, it just, it just didn't fit with our own experience and didn't fit with how we understood the scriptures. And, and then of course, being, being apart from your church family is it, it, similar to, you know, being apart from your, from your wife or your children. You know, you, you can't, you can't maintain a marriage virtually. You can't parent your children virtually. And so if, if we can actually pastor our churches virtually, then, then we've missed what it means to be the church uh, just like we would miss what it means to be a parent or to be a husband or a wife. So it, it's important to remember just how important that covenant is in a local church. And, uh, and and COVID really demonstrated when that was taken away, how important it is to stand for that and to say, say no, we, we will obey Christ rather than men. One of the things that was emphasized in the documentary and, and as well from you was this has helped to strengthen the true church in Canada. I think it has galvanized people and it has shown us um, that there is a strength that we need as we face tyranny, as we face oppression, really to be ready for whatever's next. And th- th- there was a sense coming from yourself, from James, from Pastor MacArthur, even from Ian Hamilton, that historically states do this. They're, they're bent as toward totalitarianism because they have been given the sword and they've been given that power. And Christians need to be ready for whatever's next. So I'm not holding you to it. I'm not saying give us your prophetic vision and I'm not going to stone you if you're wrong. But as you survey what's happening in our world, as you survey even what's going on in our Canadian context or specifically in your Albertan context, what lessons have we learned in the last three years that Christians need to be ready for what's next and what might that be? So what what do you think that we see these shifts happening culturally, politically, that Christians have to take what we've learned and be ready to stand firm on these principles because it looks like this is how we're going to be tested next, or it looks like this might be the next play from those in power who don't just become righteous even after a virus goes away. 
Right. No, those are good questions, Andrew. And of course, as you know, it's hard to try to predict the future. I'm not a prophet. Um, and I know even when I was down in California recently, you know, someone asked John MacArthur a very similar question, and I appreciated his answer. He, he said, it really doesn't matter what's next. Uh, we're called to be faithful no matter what. And so it's... Um, we, we don't wait until, oh, this is, this is the big issue. You know, this, this, is, this is the one now we have to stand. Uh, those other ones we can kind of compromise on. No, it's, it's every issue that would seek to um, minimize the importance of the church, would, would seek to lead us to not be faithful in obeying the commands of Christ. And so, so we need to be ready to obey Christ in all areas. And I think COVID-19 has, has really helped crystallize in so many minds, you know, the different spheres of authority and responsibility in the home, in the, in the church and in the state and, and how those interplay and how they shouldn't interplay. And so what it means for us to be faithful under Christ's rule and lordship. Um, and, and in terms of a next issue, I think in, in our Canadian context, yeah, I, I'm thinking it has to do something with, with this LGBTQ, transgenderism, um, and a, a willingness and, and, a, and a desire for the governing authorities to, to censor the church and to censor any voices. You know, we, we've seen it uh, quell protests. Um, and it's only a matter of time before pastors and, and churches are told to to be quiet and and it seems already that the that so many churches even evangelical churches are all too willing to be silent on these important issues and so it, it's just going to put that much more heat uh, upon those churches and pastors who are faithfully proclaiming the whole counsel of God and so that I think is an area that we have to be ready to be clear um, and, and preach on in season and out of, out of season so I would I would ask maybe offer some pastoral guidance for people who are not serving as pastors or elders in churches with, with the answer to the question so how is it that what does faithfulness look like for them I, I mean clearly we know that the temptation as you've just said for pastors for elders is going to be to compromise on doctrine to not speak boldly to not preach the word unapologetically and all of it, the whole counsel of God, to maybe go easy on certain issues because they don't want to get in trouble, they don't want to have the government come down on them. So we know that the, the calling for those specifically who serve as pastors, as elders in teaching, but there are a lot of people in our audience, I know, that they are attending churches where maybe their elders were not so courageous or have not are not willing to pay the same price, haven't spoken as boldly about what's happening regarding the evil in our world and how the Christian is to understand. So these past, a lot of these people are thinking, I, I'm, I'm needing some guidance. Some, give me, give me a few. How, how can I be faithful? And so I'm sure you've had this conversation with people in your own church. But in light of what we've seen, in light of where things are moving, what would be a a call to faithfulness? A very practical way that people who are watching this could say, this is how you position yourselves to be faithful to, to God and to be ready to serve him, as you said, with whatever's next, and ultimately it doesn't matter. Yeah. I think people, what they need to do is you take take those spheres of life, you know, in your home, in the church, and in the world today, or, or in, in the civic sphere, the civic realm, and say, what is what is God calling me in those areas 
on, based upon scripture, what does it mean for me to be faithful? You know, so at, at home, which is what all of us are in, you know, what does it mean for me to, to live in, in a marriage that is, that is faithful and that, that honors the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it mean for me to take um, with seriousness the, the command that I have to disciple my children, to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? I, I think, you know, I'm not sure of everyone's context in Canada, but certainly in any of the city in Canada, I don't think it's faithful for you to send your children to public school. You know, so you have to think about your children's education. Um, we're not going to change the world if we, if we keep on giving our children up to, to a godless state. And so, you know, we, we have to educate our children. We have to disciple them. There's things like family worship. Uh, these, these are elements within our home that we must be um, clear on, on what it means for us to be faithful and practice those things. And then, then in the world or in the workplace, you know, Christians need to think through that. They need to think through, well, do, do I use someone's preferred pronouns or not? You know, am, am I willing here to, to lose my job? Should I be looking for another job in which I can, I can live authentically as a Christian? Or am I always going to be battling and always being tempted to compromise? I think those, those are questions people need to ask. And then in the church, am I, am I serving? Am I loving one another? Is, is my home a vehicle of ministry? Am I practicing hospitality? Am I, am I seeking to to, to live the Christian life in these different areas. And so those are areas where people can be faithful and, and, and courage begets courage. And so part of our faithfulness is being together with other like-minded believers. And so I, I know not everyone in our country is close to a, to a faithful, you know, like-minded church, but, but be part of the best church you can in your area. Uh, get close with other like-minded believers and, and encourage each other to walk faithfully. So when you're tempted to compromise when you're tempted just to go along to get along uh, you have brothers and sisters that say no hold the line yeah that's that's good I, I i trust that that will be encouraging and helpful for people um as they consider what faithfulness looks like for them in the days and weeks and months and years ahead um i i mean i thoroughly enjoyed the documentary as i'm sure you did i mean you kind of have to have enjoyed it you were in it so um even if you didn't we wouldn't know but i'm sure you did um, I guess a, a last question before we kind of end our time together. I think that it is important for all believers to, whenever they can avail themselves to watch the doc, whether they live in the States, they find a theater, or if they're like me and they live in a border town and there's a closer theater on the other side of the border where they can go watch it. Now that, you know, people like me are allowed back in the United States, we can go watch movies there. That's great. Um, and I mean, I was speaking with Shannon. I know that pre-sales for DVDs, Blu-ray are coming out soon. So I would strongly recommend and encourage people to go and watch this. And I have my reasons for it. Um, what would be maybe the one or two reasons that you would say it is valuable for people to go and watch this documentary and it will be good for them for this reason or these reasons? I think I think it's valuable in a few different ways. One, I, I know many people who didn't agree with the COVID mandates, and, and maybe they're not, um, you know, serious believers, but they they appreciated what some of the churches did to stand up. And so, if if they were to watch this film, they, they will hear the gospel clearly. They will see the history of the church. They'll, they'll understand uh, more of, of why churches did what they did. This was not just a, a political, uh, you know, rationale that went behind this. And and for those also who who didn't agree, I, I would just desire for them to watch it too, just to see the wrestling that has happened in each and every church that decided to keep its doors open. This this wasn't a flippant decision. That This was wrestling theologically, wrestling in prayer, wrestling with other members, other elders in the church. 
and 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 what you see through the end of it is that um, there are many difficult decisions that that went into this, um, and, and many many difficult decisions that went into this. And what, what we were seeking to do is not only be faithful in applying scripture, but also stand stand in that historical vein of Christians throughout the centuries who have counted the cost and then went ahead and paid it to in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so that historical aspect is component too. So is a, is a key component. So I would just, people need to need to see this to uh, be encouraged themselves, uh, be, be ready for what's next because history will continue to uh, unfold and repeat itself. And, uh, and, and it's, it's also, entertaining it's a well done film uh, it looks it looks great it, it's not it doesn't drag um it, it's 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 so well done the, the music everything so it's it, for for just a piece of art uh, it ought to be seen and enjoyed in that respect too mm-hmm. so I'll, I'll i'll plug it as i will many times in the course of this episode essential church movie.com you can go sign up for updates so you know when stuff is available I think one of the, one of the things that a documentary like this will do, as we do as believers, we think about as husbands, as as fathers, is we want to plant those stones of rem- remembrance. We want to put Ebenezer's down and say to our children or their children, "Look back. This is where the Lord taught us something. This is where He was faithful. This is where He proved Himself to be kind and gracious to His people. This is where the Lord showed that He will never disappoint us." And I think that one of the things that comes out in the documentary is that, is you and James and Pastor John, you know, uh, agree that we saw the Lord manifest his goodness and his kindness to us. And we we never want to forget, we never want to forget how the Lord has been gracious to his people. So I trust that it will do that as well. Tim, it's always great to chat with you. Thank you so much for joining me on The Dispatch. It's always a pleasure. Thanks so much, Andrew. Well, it is my pleasure to have with me on the dispatch, Pastor James Coates. He's the pastor, teacher at Grace Life Church in Edmonton, Alberta. He's been pastoring Grace Life Church for over 13 years now. He's a graduate of the Master's Seminary, co-author of God vs. Government, Taking a Biblical Stand When Christ and Compliance Collide, and author of Preaching and Hearing God's Word. James is married to Aaron, and together they have two sons, Brother, thank you so much for joining me on The Dispatch. I'm really glad that we could uh, connect together and have this conversation. Yeah, it's great to see you. So I recently watched the documentary just several days ago. And as I'm watching this with my wife, you know, the first thing is I'm looking over at her and she's nodding a lot in agreement in uh, in, in, in charismatic form. And I, I'm watching this and there are these very emotional moments as we think about how we had to struggle, how we had to make decisions and caring for our people and honoring the Lord. People such as yourself paid a little bit of a higher cost than most other men and, and believers who tried to be faithful uh, and, and tried to be obedient. And so it was, it was very well done. As I was watching the documentary, even as certain moments were highlighted for us, whether it was in your life or Tim's life or the life of Grace community and Pastor John, obviously, even even I'm thinking about what we struggled through, what we went through, the process of having to love and disciple and shepherd people who agree, who disagree in the midst of this totally new thing. And so as you're being interviewed for the documentary, as you are 
watching it again, you know, at the premiere, surrounded by brothers. What are some of the the things, maybe one or two things that kind of came back to the front of your mind that you kind of recollected that were particularly impactful or important, maybe moments you would look back and see, you know, reflecting now a couple years removed, even more so I see the faithfulness and the kindness of the Lord here in this moment, kind of his providential hand guiding all things. What would be one or two of those moments that really came back to you uh, in, in, in powerful ways in through the process of this documentary? There was certainly a moment in the documentary when my wife was speaking and she's describing the story of me coming down from uh, my study for lunch and just sharing with her that I had just spoken with James Kitchen and James had indicated that it was likely that I would be in prison for uh, defying the court order as I would be held in contempt of court. And, um, and just the way that she handled that where she just didn't say anything, not wanting to add to my burden. She could see that I was clearly burdened. And so she just didn't, didn't add to that, which is such a, a wonderful thing to see my wife respond that way. And, and, and at the same time brings you back into that moment where you, you feel all over again, just the, the pressure of the moment, how high the stakes were at that time. And, and all that I was having to digest, even that afternoon, even on a Saturday. And it's interesting because by that point in time, um, my day had kind of gotten off on a slow foot. I hadn't even started writing the sermon for Sunday. So it's like lunchtime. I've just found out that jail time is likely. And, and I still have to write a sermon. Plus, there was a couple of hours, actually, where... I had to go into our room and just kind of digest this thing. And um, so, you know, the Lord was really gracious. As I recall on that Saturday, he, he multiplied my, my productivity within a, a short window of time. Normally uh, I would not start a sermon that late as far as the writing of it. And, um, and so, but I, I recall that sermon coming together and getting done and not, feeling like I was I was shortchanged on time. So God was gracious to me in that. So certainly that stands out to me. And I mean, ultimately just his faithfulness. I mean, you know, I don't know how this is going to sound, but as Tim and I were together and working through this, like had you at the beginning of it all shown both Tim and I what we would have to go through, but also all of the aftermath of it, you know, like the movie itself. I mean, being at a premiere for a movie, a documentary that would go into theaters. When you look at the way the Lord has blessed Tim's ministry, blessed my ministry. Um, you, you know, if you could see all of it, the whole picture at the beginning, what we went through was really rather minor. And to the point that I said after the premiere, I was like, Tim, you know, we must have some serious suffering on the horizon. You know, God gave Paul a vision of the third heaven and then had to give him a thorn in the flesh to keep him from exalting himself. Now, keep in mind, it wasn't that Paul was proud, but it was to keep him from becoming proud. So God gives him this vision of the third heaven 
this glorious inexpressible vision and then to keep him from becoming proud appoints a thorn in the flesh uh, to him to torment him and so in that same vein i'm saying to tim man like you look at here we are like we were just trying to be faithful to christ it was incredibly difficult we had no idea how this was going to go we we had no guarantee that it would be a short stint in jail we had no guarantee that there would be much life after all that had taken place we just had no idea it could have gone horribly wrong and yet here we are at a premiere for a documentary that's going to go into theaters and obviously now has. And it's just kind of like, man, we must have some serious suffering on the horizon. So, um, so for whatever that's worth, um, the Lord has, I would say, recompensed us in this life with more than double, more than double for our sacrifice for him. And, um, I mean, it's humbling. It's um, it's even emotional to consider that, but it's the way the Lord has always worked in my life. As as I've come to, obviously, we want to obey the Lord in everything and in the little things. And I think both Aaron and I have that desire to just increase our faithfulness in the little things. But as it relates to the big things, those forks in the road that we come to. Whenever I've obeyed the Lord, and um, I'm not sure that I can recall a fork in the road like that that I haven't, but whenever I have, he's always blessed it. And, uh, and he did that in this situation, which is really invigorating and fortifying because, um, you know, when, it, when the stakes get higher, you, you kind of wonder how it's going to go. Um, and, and so even with the stakes as high as they were, God blessed the obedience that we offered to him as imperfect as it was. And just, it just shows his graciousness, his faithfulness, his kindness. And so he truly is a wonderful King and Lord. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, if, if there's a word that ties all those together, it, it would be the word perspective. I think the Lord has granted you a, a right and more sanctified perspective, right? Even as you were mentioning the degree of, of suffering and difficulty you went through compared to how the Lord has used it. I was just reading in Second Corinthians the other day when Paul says, these light and momentary afflictions are nothing compared to, but in the middle of it, it's not light and momentary. In the middle of it, it seems like heavy and forever until a little bit of time and a little bit more gray hair passes. And we look back and we say how glorious eternity would be. If, if, the, if Paul's saying that the light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us a glorious inheritance, when we have these light and momentary afflictions and then we have tremendous blessings in this earth— Imagine what's being prepared for God's people if those same light and momentary afflictions are are bringing us to that kind of glorious inheritance. Um, and you know, when I was chatting with Tim and even with Shannon, one of the things that 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 came out and you 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 mentioned this as well is this this documentary, this process. Lord willing, is an Ebenezer for us to 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 plant a stone of remembrance to be able to tell our kids, look back at the Lord's faithfulness. I mean, look at what he did. Look at what he accomplished. Um, 
and the you know the the talking about the wives i think that there's you have these almost larger than life characters at least the way the media portrays them pastor john yourself tim our friends like jacob rayom and Aaron Rock, I mean, here are these guys, they seem invulnerable and impenetrable. And we often don't consider that supporting them, encouraging them, are wives who also at the right moment are unflappable and who, who provide the strength that, save for the strength we get from the Lord Jesus Christ, is, an, is, is essential for us. And so maybe, maybe even speak a little bit to that, how you came to learn and appreciate in a unique way that the strength and support of a godly woman and wife and mother, I mean, ministry might not even be possible. How could we do what God has called us to do without these people? Yeah, there's no question that when I think about Aaron, um, I see God's wisdom and his grace yet again in my life, because I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing when you get married. Um, it takes some time to realize just how well or not you've married. I mean, just think about that. Go back, Andrew, to when you, you first married your wife. I mean, and then think about all that's been uncovered since then. You have no guarantee of that. You can't see into the future. I mean, you, 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 you seek to marry someone who loves the Lord, um, who, who's committed to him, who's devoted to him. And, and yet, from there, it's kind of like, let's see what happens. And and so the Lord has been so kind to show me over the years just how well I married in his grace. And, you know, you look at the stand that we took as a church. You've got to have, you know, a unified leadership. Got to check that box. Got to have a, a unified congregation because if they don't come, there's no stand. I mean, you just open your doors, but no one's coming. So you got to check that box. Well, you need a wife who's supportive. And, and, and really, all of the wives of the elders need to be supportive. So in the context of our leadership, all of the wives were supportive. And we're, we're looking at you know, their husbands potentially being arrested. In my case, I was. So there's no question. Um, to have a wife that is totally there. I mean, at, at one point, too, she had said to me, you know, if you close the church again, I'm not sure our marriage will survive. I think that's what she said. I think that's a quote. And, and so she's just, um, yeah, she's rock solid. And, and that's huge because that means that, that as I'm dealing with my own heart and trying to shepherd the flock and I, I'm not having to like bring my wife along. I mean, if she couldn't, if she wasn't supportive, I don't know how in the world I would have been able to take that stand and, and, and do what I did. So to have her be rock solid and support um, was just a huge blessing. So uh, on on a humorous note, um, I also remembered that moment in the documentary where you came down from your study and you revealed the conversation with James. And I looked over at my wife and I laughed when you said that because I said, that sounds like James. I've talked with James enough times on the phone. I've had conversations where I could just, I just heard his voice. Well, James, uh, that seems like a, that's going to happen. Yeah. You could get arrested. I just pictured, I pictured him saying that matter of factly well, thinking and, that's James. Yeah. And he had to, you know, like I, yeah. I realized in hindsight, like he did exactly what a lawyer should in that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, he, he needed to prepare me for what could be. And so had he said to me, um, no, I don't think you're going to be in prison for this. Uh, potentially that might've been some legal malpractice. Like he, 
he was he was look if you're in contempt of court you've got up to two years in prison and so if you're in, if you're going to move forward and defy a court order you need to have all of the information so he ensured that i had that and so i've reflected on that moment and i think he did exactly the right thing and what he what he said in that moment. So one of the moments of the documentary that I that I liked the way that it was being put together, the editing, the visuals, the music was the sermon that you'd preached in December where you had sensed that you needed to kind of break from whatever you were doing and you needed to speak to what was going on and the way it was framed in the documentary, I mean, anyone who hasn't seen this, they need to go and sign on and get the updates and buy the DVD or like I live in a border town so I can go over 20 minutes and I can head in the States and pick a theater in there and watch it. So if, if you're that person, go and do that. But there's this one scene where you were saying, who's the head of the church? Not Jason Kenny. And then it goes to a picture of him in the music's building, not Dina Hinshaw and not, and just like not, not even the elders. And then the music builds the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's this, wonderful moment that you can even it's not just a documentary but even yourself you're 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 leading the people to realize this is who is in charge of the bride of christ i guess my what's curious is in the documentary they basically said that or you said that i wanted to speak to what was going on that this is what led me to you know bring this particular message maybe give a little more kind of flesh that out what what is it exactly that you were thinking, thinking? What were the specific things going on in your mind where you said, this is why we need to bring this particular message. This is how I need to bring the word to my people this Sunday. Well, you can see God's providence in this as well. So that would have been the Sunday before Christmas. And typically on the Sunday before Christmas, I'll preach an incarnational sermon, uh, a sermon that that focuses on the incarnation of Christ. And to me at that particular point, it seemed to me to be tone deaf to do that because we had just had the Sunday prior, the RCMP and AHS in our building. And so, so now like the fight is on and, and so I need to speak to this issue. Um, And so I, I wanted to just kind of present a case for why the church must be open. And and so that was the rationale behind it. And I just sort of identified a whole bunch of questions that that were being asked at that time, questions that that needed to be answered to be able to to settle this issue. And and so I just I, I identified all the questions and then just wrote the sermon around the answer to those questions. And so um so yeah, I just spoke to the moment that that was that was a significant moment. Like people were already coming back. But with, with the RCMP and AHS being in our facility, now there was a little bit of hesitation. So, but when I preached that sermon, our people came back with a vengeance. And, and that was like, now it was on. Now, now the, the building was packed and, uh, and our people were ready to stand firm and stand tall. So, yeah, that's, that's how that happened. So very recently the uh king's court um the the bench of the king's court no what's the 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 king's bench of the court of alberta court of the king's bench yeah the court of the king's bench it's it, it all sounds like some sort of medieval tv show getting the order wrong but 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 some someone in a robe has recently decided 
that the health measures that came from the provincial cabinet were he invalidated them saying that this was in the purview of the chief medical officer of health, not the cabinet. And because of the health orders being invalidated, ideally, so I read the uh, press release from the JCCF, and they said, hopefully this means that all these charges will be finally and formally dismissed against yourself, against Fairview, against some other people as well. So, you know, we covered this in an episode recently. So this is this is good news in the sense The not-so-good news is toward the end of the decision where Justice Romaine said the issue isn't the orders themselves. The issue is that the orders came from the cabinet and not from the chief medical officer of health, which in my mind goes the next time there's some sort of public health crisis, as long as the right person is a tyrant, then it's fine. It just has to be the right tyrant. So I asked him this question as well, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. How is it that our people in our churches and Christians in Canada who are serious about the Lordship of Christ and who need to be serious about obedience to Christ regardless of the cost, how can they or should they be ready and prepared for what we know is the inevitable next ground of tyranny or encroachment upon the church by the civil government. What can we say to Christians in Canada that they need to be ready for, prepared with, and anticipate? This is how you need to kind of gird your loins to be ready to be faithful to Christ because this is coming or this is coming. How would you encourage them? Yeah, I think I would point them to everything that we've just experienced and how there was a wonderful opportunity for the Lordship of Christ and His glory to be on display. And, and how invigorating that is, how, how when we're on this green earth and we can see that our, our daily actions are actually putting the glory of Christ on display in a way that allows the gospel to go forth with power, that, that people need to look at that, seize upon that, and, and say, I want to be a part of that the next time we have a, a, a moment in time that, that is just the same as that. So I think that's what it is. Like we... We live for the honor and glory of Christ. God's glory is our greatest good. We want to see God glorified, and we have an opportunity to glorify Him as we walk in obedience to Christ, even in the midst of difficult situations and circumstances. And 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 so it's stand firm. It's it's seize the moment. It's um it's lay hold of the opportunities that are presented to us to to make much of God, much of Christ, and uh, and ultimately. To your point earlier, this is momentary light affliction, but is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. And so we should be willing to lay down our lives for the cause of Christ. He laid down his life to secure us a place in glory. And so this is momentary light affliction that we should embrace for the opportunity that our lives would count to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. So give us your uh, give us your quickest pitch for why you would say having seen it, the finished product, and also having participated in it by way of being interviewed, um, why should Christians, why should specifically Canadians go and watch the documentary, go and pre-order a DVD or a Blu-ray, drive over the border now that we're allowed back in the United States and go watch it in a theater somewhere? What, what, What do you hope that something like this will accomplish or serve 
specifically in the Canadian church context? Well, I think it's going to help to um, connect the stands that churches like ours took to what has taken place in centuries past, that, that the same kinds of battles have been taking place for centuries, and that there are faithful examples of Christians in, in times past who took a stand for the headship of Christ over his church, that this is going to be the, the very battleground that we're going to face, because as governments increase in their tyranny, it, it's going to, there's going to be a conflict between the church and government. And so, so by seeing this movie, they're going to see that that's just a reoccurring theme that has taken place throughout church history, and that's going to make them more discerning and able to identify when the attack happens again. And so I think that's important. I think it helps to illustrate the relationship between the church and government. So I think that crystallizes in this, in this doc. And I also think, too, that just the, the stories woven together the way they are, are invigorating. I mean, they're, they're, they put steel in the spine. And that was Shannon's desire, is to put steel in the spine of Christians to, to be willing to die for the headship of Christ over his church. And so I think folks need to see this. Certainly those who would disagree with our stand, they definitely need to see this. They, they need to expose themselves to, uh, to the content of this documentary and, and put their position under the microscope of this documentary. Um, they really need to, to even go beyond that and, and, and test and scrutinize whether or not they've, they've landed the plane on the right place in the right place as it relates to the relationship between church and government. Because, you know, I can say pretty, um, pretty honestly, totally honestly, that we, we've been tested. We've had the dot I's cross T's and think through this upwards, downwards, backwards, the whole night and, and, and can put forward a robust um, argument from scripture for why we did the right thing. And I'm just not convinced the other side can. And, um, and, and so they need to be challenged uh, in that. So I'll, uh, I'll plug it here as I have several times throughout the episode. It's EssentialChurchMovie.com. If you're in the States or if you live in a border town, then you can find a place to go and watch it. Otherwise, if you sign up, you'll get updates for when there are pre-sales for DVD and Blu-ray and eventually digital stuff as well. James, I really appreciate to be able to chat with you about these things. It's uh, it's good. The last time we got a time to talk was at the Church at War conference that was special with you and Tim, and this has also been good. Thanks so much, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Good to see you. Thanks for tuning in to Liberty Dispatch, a united front to restore liberty and justice in Canada. Please subscribe to our podcast and Rumble channel as well as visit our website at www.LibertyCoalitionCanada.com. When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, 
Long time no see. No can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder. Just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work.